what we were always really concerned about was, you know, when you take that one physician's associate from their clinic and you send them on a course that's, you know, two days by bus and then it's a three-day course and two days back, who is seeing those people in that clinic? Because there's no one else there. You know, so actually, you know, it's, it's really detrimental for the patients that are left behind. So, you know, for us, it, it just feels like, Maybe the good thing that will come out of this pandemic is people realizing that they just, for so many things, they just don't need to travel so much, that so much more can be done over the internet now. Thank you for joining the 30,000 Hours podcast. I'm Monica Bolger, an education PhD, and I'm joined today by Dr. Fran Fieldhouse, who has practiced medicine since 1998 and currently works as a general practitioner partner in Oxfordshire. Throughout her career, she has provided training and support for doctors across the globe, including Latin America and Africa. She has worked in refugee camps, capital cities, and everything in between. For the past 14 years, she has trained doctors to become general practitioners, and we'll probably be using the term GP throughout this interview. Most recently, she and colleagues Dr. Minnie LeCamp and Nicola McCahill have founded Horizon Medical Education, a low-cost e-learning platform for primary health care workers in mobile-first environments. It's such an honor to have you on our show today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Monica. I'm delighted to be here. Um, as the the reason we're we're talking today, obviously, is because of the global health crisis of COVID, and uh, Horizon Medical Education is providing a much needed training at, at a very crucial moment. And so, I was wondering if you could sort of describe what Horizon Medical Education provides, and also more generally, how e learning can address professional training in this moment. So what we provide, which is maybe a little bit different to other e-learning platforms, is we provide audio modules. So they are effectively, they're a podcast, a bit like bit like this. So it's a conversation between me and Dr. LeCamp where we talk through um, the topic. We quite often use case studies. We use a lot of anecdotes. And then we'll go on to, you know, talk about the epidemiology, the treatment, the prevention, all of, all of these things. And... Um, the reason that we do that is twofold. One is because, as I guess your listeners appreciate, listening to a podcast with two people interacting is um, it's very easy listening. It's a nice way to learn um, when people share stories or anecdotes or their experiences. Um, I think that makes the topic a lot more real for people. Um, and then the other thing is that... Um, in a lot of the mobile first areas where we are working, people don't have great data signal, but our modules, they're downloadable. So when that person who's working in rural Kenya, rural Zambia, Yemen is, is near somewhere where they've got connectivity, they can download our module, they can then listen to it offline. And then the idea is that these modules form part of their continuing professional development and they can then do the the quiz when they're next uh back in an area uh with data connection so 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 yeah so so that's the difference because most e-learning platforms are about uh written material that you which is without being critical it can be quite dry 
and and you need that connectivity all the time which these countries just don't have this is really extraordinary how did you identify that there was a need there for this particular because podcasting as a means of education is a very creative approach to medical training so we all three of us worked for a charity that gave medical advice to remote healthcare workers and um minnie and i realized that a lot of the advice we were giving was very repetitive so um you know of the 75 clinicians we were supporting you know 50 of them would have asked the same question and and it it just seemed very obvious to us that to get some learning out on treating uh, community acquired pneumonia, for example, would be much more useful than us answering the same question 50 times. And actually it took me quite a long time to, to decide what was going to be the best way to deliver the education. Um, a lot of it's, it's sort of not just from their end, but also from my end. So I, I work full time, um, we have uh, no financial input, but creating a podcast is very easy to do. Um, the three of us all live in opposite ends of the country. I appreciate the UK is not big compared to the United States, but in fact, my, my two colleagues have actually never met in person. You know, we're, we're testament to how remote working uh, works and how you can form relationships and stuff. So Minnie and I trialed... Um, the podcast when we were working with this charity and and they were really well received and I you know people were like you know that's that's just you know very educative it's really nice having your stories it's really interactive um, very much it's designed with the user in mind so at each point we're asking for feedback the topics are chosen by them um, we're not dictating what we what we teach um you know if they don't understand things there's a discussion group that, that we can use on on the teaching platform so it's very much led by them i have to say as a, as an education researcher i was really impressed by the actual setup of of the e-learning platform you have audio modules that are accompanied by briefs so it's not it's not it's not distracting learning while you're listening and you have the option to read them without listening too. So you can do one and then the other or at the same time. Mm. And I, and mm. I am not a medical professional. So, um, I, and I, I found these very approachable. So, um, so thank you. And I also, they, they align with media learning. What, what, what we know about, um, testing people's learning immediately afterwards and then reinforcing it with the next module. And, and so that it enables not only, um, uh, transference of the material, but also, you know, a deeper understanding. So it was really um, interesting to read. And I'm, I'm really impressed by how quickly you've gotten uh, COVID training up. And I was wondering what the response has been to having those modules available. Oh, okay, thank you. So I think one of the nice things about us is um, that we can be really responsive. So um, in fact, we've just recorded an update on COVID today, that will be up by tomorrow. Um, we will try and do that weekly as uh, new information emerges because it, you know, it's it's changing so quickly, Monica. And um, 
so we were we were a little bit reticent to begin with about recording something because there is so much information but then it became very very evident as i'm sure it has has to lots of people that there's an awful lot of misinformation yes. out there and that for these you know although i mean primarily our, our target uh, audience has been Africa because that's where we've had most of our experience but you know the, the case numbers are still very small but there's a lot of misinformation you know there were uh, people burning a testing center in the Cote d'Ivoire for example because they hadn't understood what it was about um, so so yeah so we just felt that even though people were would creating stuff our method of delivery um might be more useful so we developed these these modules very quickly and as i said we're going to update them probably weekly as things go and in fact it's been we've had a remarkable response and suddenly we're getting people from yemen haiti indonesia malaysia looking at them so so countries that we haven't particularly targeted that we um hadn't yet got around to thinking about um, trying to break into are suddenly starting to be interested, which is, you know, fantastic. And we were offering it for free. We, you know, we don't want to make money from this. What we want, and our whole aim with all of this is that we want patients wherever they are to get the best possible care that they can get. Now, we know that's not going to be on a ventilator in lots of these countries, but it doesn't mean that they can't be trying to treat them with the equipment with the drugs that they have to the best of their ability and i think also with covid it's so important that they're staying safe i mean that's so paramount and you know even this week we've had reports from people in africa who are going to educational meetings that are taking place you know this just shouldn't be happening people shouldn't be attending conferences in these countries you know it should all be remote learning so it's as much about looking after the patients as it is about looking after the clinicians at the moment. I had no idea that people were still meeting for training and uh, conferences. No, nor, nor did we, nor did we. I'm wondering, in addition to that feedback, what other um, impacts you've heard about from the physicians who are using the Horizon Medical Education? always the feedback has been really positive um, and you know how much they've enjoyed it. I think the things that stand out for me is that when people have commented that perhaps they've been mismanaging cases in the past so that you know this is something that they thought they knew about but maybe hadn't kept up to date because so for example in in the UK as a GP I have to do 50 hours of uh, continuing professional development every year. But in lots of countries, so particularly in um, English-speaking Africa, which is where most of my knowledge comes from, in theory, once you're trained as a physician's associate or clinical officer, you may have to do some training. But in practice, nobody monitors that. So it may be that you were trained, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and things change a lot. You know, almost everything I learned 21 years ago is almost completely the opposite. And if I wasn't doing the training, I would be mismanaging. And so for us, being able to standardize training with up-to-date evidence is really important. So part of the feedback has been that we're teaching them something that they would, had been doing wrong. So they're able to change their practice. So that's really positive. And I think the other thing that we've done, which um, 
maybe would surprise some people is that we've gone back and we've revisited just a very sort of maybe what people would call basic but I would call essential skills so it's um what we call taking a history so you know taking a cardiac history so asking somebody particular questions about their heart taking a respiratory history examining people and and just a lot about communication skills and um Certainly some of the feedback on that has been like, you know, one of them was like, wow, I've never thought of doing that. I can see how the patient would really feel that you were listening. I'm going to try it next time I see someone. So, so, you know, that's, that's really inspiring that they're, you know, that they're so keen to learn and keen to take things on board. And like you said, sort of listen and then reflect and put it into practice. It sounds like you're also building a community then. There's a space to go back to information. There's a space to ask questions. If if a module isn't available and enough people request it, then that becomes something that's involved that's offered. It it sounds like um this is a very responsive type of learning environment for for these physicians. Certainly that's our hope. Certainly, yeah. Yeah. And that really uh, comes back to the point you made earlier that this is this training, especially the COVID information, is just as much about protecting the doctors as it is in providing um, providing excellent care. Or, um, so so it's in, it's really important that that here you're considering the whole picture, right? That 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 a lot of times training seems to happen in a vacuum. Um, I don't know about for medicine, but, but just generally in, in research training and and other training, it's, it's like, here's the ideal. Whereas I felt that your training seemed very practical. Yeah, I think so. So what we've said with everything is that we will, we will teach the gold standard, but we will also tell you what you would do if that isn't available. So for example, if, uh, if you have a patient that you suspect has a stroke, you know, the gold standard would be to do some sort of brain imaging. If that is not available, this is what you could maybe rely on instead to, to give you indicators of how, you know, whether it's a, this sort of stroke or that sort of stroke. So, so we, you know, we, it's about being pragmatic in lots of these places. Um, and, you know, and supporting clinicians to make judgments with the, you know, to the best of their knowledge with, with whatever's around them. And, you know, I think coronavirus really, you know, we're all in the same boat with this because we're all making it up as we go along. Certainly in the UK, we have very little testing in the community. So, you know, I'm, it's not like I'm armed with a battery of tests either. Um, and actually, you know, teaching the module is teaching me as well. I learned lots of things by doing the research for it. Um, which were incredibly helpful for me. Um, so, yeah, so it is, it, I mean, it's always about, you know, supporting the clinician as well. I think that's so important. It's it's a tough job at any time, in a pandemic more so, but, it, you know, it's a tough job. And these people, you know, I have the utmost admiration for them. They work in, you know, lots of them in very remote places with very little support, very isolated, very little equipment. You know, I think the job they do is phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. I 100% agree. And it's so interesting to hear that there's options for supporting the types of um, 
creative, resourceful uh, practice that, that needs to happen, offering alternatives, offering options uh, when there may be so few opportunities for, for that type of training and understanding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we, we're trying, we're certainly doing our best. And like you said, you know, it, we're so open to feedback and how we can improve it. I think that's the thing, you know, we're desperate to learn. We want to help people, you know, it, they, they can tell us whatever they like and we will, you know, do our best to adapt. Um, since I'm a media literacy uh, scholar, I'm really interested in returning to this idea of myth busters. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned that people uh, unfortunately burned down a clinic um, out of fear of COVID. I was reading your website and I was very surprised by some of the myths. Um, so uh, first of all, I, I, I noticed right at the top, you said it is safe to breastfeed and it is still unknown what the risk to pregnant women is. Was that the tantamount concern or was that just the message that was most important to get out first? I think possibly that was at the forefront of my mind because I am working with pregnant colleagues in Oxfordshire. So I think I had been talking a lot because it seemed to me that, I, I don't know how it is with you, but certainly because there's so little knowledge about it in pregnancy that our Royal College of Obstetricians were sort of putting out new data all the time and, and, and changing their advice you know, ever so slightly, but, um, and appropriately so. So it's, it's not like, um, you know, they, they were being daft. It, it was just that, you know, it's new. Nobody knows. They're trying to be as sensible as possible without fear mongering. And so I think probably I had it there because I'd been reading a lot about it and talking about it with my pregnant colleagues. So we've, um, we've self-isolated them so that they, they are working but they're not face-to-face uh, -face with any patients at the moment. The information environment has been so confusing lately and as you said there's new information coming out um, daily as, as everyone tries to understand the virus better. Um, I really appreciated how this section lists different types of misinformation, such as that thermal scanners cannot detect the new coronavirus, mm. that hand dryers are not effective in killing the virus, that uh, mosquitoes cannot transmit uh, the coronavirus through bites. Um, have you been receiving a lot of sort of misconceptions, misinformation in your practice or in the Horizon Medical Education Yes, sort of indirectly. So Nicola is um, in several sort of Facebook, WhatsApp groups with clinical officers um, across, well, globally, actually, we're part of, um, we were part of a global conference earlier on this year in Rwanda, and she's in touch with lots of them. And um, actually, she was just, you know, <sighs> astounded by the myths that were being perpetuated and 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 sort of frustrated in that she wanted to get involved but you know was sensible enough to realize that whatsapp you know wasn't quite the place and it wasn't you know it wasn't her place within that group to be um counter arguing them so um yeah so she sort of really highlighted to, to minnie and i that this was a huge problem so that we agreed that actually we needed to, you know, actually really label it and sort of in sort of skirting around the issue, actually kind of go, these are the myths, they are wrong and laying them to rest. But 
I mean, there's still a lot out there. You know, there's a lot about the drugs. There's a lot about hydroxychloroquine, which, you know, there's no evidence for still. There's a, you know, and, and that's in mainstream media, sort of these things being perpetuated. Um, so it's, it is difficult. And I think that's why we felt that actually having to update regularly is going to be really vital during the pandemic because things are changing very quickly. Um, and just maybe even reinforcing those myth busters will be really important as well. I'm very grateful, actually, for this page. I, I wish I wish we could just put it at the front of any news article, you know, <laughs> you, 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 <laughs> because you say, um, you know, this does not just affect older people. That is such a critical message that I think finally came across in the last two weeks, but but something that was a bit of misinformation happening. Um, or, and um, yeah, so I'm just really grateful, actually, for this, this list. <laughs> I, my last question is, how do you see this moment impacting the future of medical training moving forward? Do you see Horizon Medical Education as as a template for a very promising shift in in training, particularly um, in in countries with with less resources? I hope so. I think um, I think it's time has come. I think as as much as anything, you know, that we're learning the risk of, of all being together is, is there. Um, the risk of air travel, travel across borders is, is suddenly much higher than, than we used to perceive it to be. And I think, you know, the, the massive changes that we've witnessed in photos of, you know, Delhi with the smog and then suddenly it's not there because there's no traffic, there's no um, uh, air, air pollution. You know, I think in, as much environmentally that that's been a big thing and and we're very mindful of that i mean i think as much as cost and time and all those other considerations come into play you know i don't want to be traveling you know for me to fly to africa to teach someone something is the most insane waste of resources whereas i could do a you know a lesson or a, a talk as we're doing now and in fact so when we had the the conference in rwanda only one of us went and, and Minnie and I produced a presentation um, for them so that they could hear what we did. We, we created a video for them. You know, we don't need to be there in person. And although there are times when you do need a bit more contact, a lot of training can be done remotely. So I don't, I don't think we ever proposed that we would be the only form of training that people would have that, you know, particularly, uh, in medicine, there are times when you need to, you know, touch a patient, you know, see see some listening to a chest and then do it yourself, you know, so, so you need those sort of tangible skills. But I do think we could certainly um, be an adjunct to it or, or replace a lot of unnecessary travel. And I think what we what we were always really concerned about was, you know, when you take that one physician's associate from their clinic and you send them on a course that's you know two days by bus and then it's a three-day course and two days back who is seeing those people in that clinic because there's no one else there you know so actually you know it's it's really detrimental for the patients that are left behind so you know for us it it just feels like maybe the good thing that will come out of this pandemic is people realizing that they just, for so many things, they just don't need to travel so much, that so much more can be done over the internet now. 
and you're reaching you're reaching physicians who have so much challenges in resources and in remoteness too in terms of support and and this work you're doing is so important thank you for taking time away from it to speak with us this is um, very educational and informative and, and inspiring thank you for your time dr fieldhouse it's been an absolute pleasure thank you monica for more information about Horizon Medical Education, you can find them at horizonmedicaleducation.com or on Twitter at horizonmeded. We'll also have information in the show notes on 30,000hours.com. Some exciting news, everyone. You can now subscribe to our podcast at iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. And please feel free to write reviews, too. Thank you. Thank you.